0: Welcome to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz, sponsored by our friends at the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty here in Washington, D.C., a program that cuts through the chaos and confusion in the culture today by talking to kingdom citizenship, bold biblical principles for a robust public Christian life. And now your host,
1: Dr. Greg Seltz. Good day, good day, Washington, D.C., and friends of the program all across the country. I'm Greg Seltz. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert. Today we're talking about all things Supreme Court, maybe all things rule of law in our country, and we're, again, privileged to have as one of our guests, uh, Carrie Severino, best-selling author and president of the Judicial Crisis Network. Welcome, Carrie.
0: Good to be here, Greg. Thanks. Thanks.
1: Yeah, and Tim Gagline, Vice President of Government Communications of Focus on the Family. Welcome, Tim.
2: Thank you, Greg. Great to be with you
1: and Carrie. All right. Listen, the Supreme Court is back in the news for all the wrong reasons. The Democrats are seeking to add justices. I describe it this way as the watering down the notion of the rule of law by placing more justices in the system. Who will legislate from the bench? And then we have the latest persecution, I say, of Justice Clarence Thomas. The outrageous character assassinations of people like Justice Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, which continues. And then the you know the threatening of violence that we saw in the last year or so. Carrie, why the Supreme Court? Why these tactics? And what does this say for the health of a nation and a culture whose essence is supposed to be rule of law and whose freedoms depend on constitutional limitation of government?
0: Yeah, I I think it's no surprise that we're seeing these types of attacks right now when we, for the first time in living memory, have a court that is composed of a majority of originalist justices. And that's because for most of the last century, We had a court that was perfectly willing to do the left's bidding. They could just kind of go to it with whatever they couldn't get passed through Congress. And the court's like, yeah, we got it from here. We'll take it down the rest of the field. And it, it, so the court, there's no reason for those on the left to criticize the court because it was doing everything they wanted every time, basically. Right. Right now we have a court who says... We're not playing this politics game. We're looking at what the laws say and what the constitution says. And um, to the left, that's just beyond the pale. They don't want judges who are looking at the law and the constitution. And look, this doesn't mean that that the court's always going to come to a a conservative result. There's a lot of really bad laws out there that they're going to have to interpret as they are written. When it comes to interpreting the constitution, I think sometimes it looks that way only because there's so many bad cases. You know, think Roe versus Wade that they finally overturned last term. When you're when you're trying to undo just generations of making stuff up instead of interpreting the Constitution. Sure, it looks like it's, it's all going one direction, but, it, but it's definitely not. This is going, this is, we're just trying to get back in line with what the Constitution says. And that's something the court has been doing for a long time in an originalist bent, you know, bringing things into line with some of the, the criminal protections that are in the Constitution. They don't care. if They're not upset if Justice Thomas or Justice Scalia is trying to protect defendants like the Constitution says. They're happy with those constitutional provisions. But when they don't like the provision, maybe, you know, out of the Second Amendment or something, right. or religious freedom, they're not as happy about. Then they start their hair's on fire. They want to do anything <laughs> they can to block, these nominees from getting on the court, like we saw with Justice Kavanaugh, like Justice Thomas experienced himself. They want to attack them when they're on the court, like we're seeing with some of these faux ethics charges. They want to expand the court because they're frustrated that they haven't won as many elections as they want to actually be able to confirm more liberal justices who will do their bidding. So, hey, in that case, we're just going to circumvent the system and just add judges so we can have Biden put a bunch more people on, you know, whatever it takes Right. There's nothing that they they will allow to get in their way, even if it's the Constitution itself, from reengineering the court in their own image
1: well and 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 let's for our listeners too, because I think sometimes um they know how to muddy the water on this discussion, and our people hear things like leftists, originalists, and they're thinking liberal conservative mm-hmm. and and I tell them no, 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 no a liberal believes in in objective truth they believe in rule of law classic liberals that's that's classic liberalism leftists i call them secular pietists that's what i call them secular puritans they don't believe there's any right and wrong they believe there's only power their status they they actually want a whole new system and they're willing to to break the law with audacity and then enforce the law when it's like you said something that aligns with them with tenacity tim that's what we've got to try to say to our people the, the Christian church has a moral responsibility even towards culture. And I think sometimes we fail to rise to that occasion. I know we have an evangelism, obviously, responsibility to share the gospel, but it's hard to share the gospel in a failed state. <laughs> and if you've been given the ability to push back on this and say, no, rule of law is also part of God's preserving work, and we got to push back on this. Um how do we let people know that this is something, this is challenging the whole core of what a civil society is all about? Um, how do we unpack that for them?
2: Oh, it's a great question. I couldn't agree more. Uh, anecdotally, I'm just back from heavy travel in South Carolina, Arizona, and Texas. And and I must say, Carrie and, and uh, Greg, I am really stunned by two things. Uh, The one thing is that uh, in every one of those venues, I ask our brothers and sisters in Christ, Have you ever read the Constitution? And I'm really sorry to say, if I had to place a percentage, that it's well under 10% of men and women of faith who are otherwise very interested in every single syllable that we're talking about today, people who for whatever reason, have never read the Constitution. And when you share with them that it's a relatively short document, that the <laughs> words uh, have a fixed meaning uh, over time, and that it really won't take much of their of their time, many of them are equally surprised in their mind's eye they have this as a very long, uh, complicated uh, document. So I think, Greg and Carrie, the first answer is that we need to, as George Orwell said, the first duty of an intelligent person is to restate the obvious. Right. And I think the obvious thing is is we have to encourage men and women of faith to go back and read the document. The second thing uh is that there is a history in partisan warfare in the United States of attacking the United States Supreme Court, uh, very often with uh, with disappointing results for progressives. And the most obvious one, of course, was Franklin Roosevelt's attempt to pack the court. But I think that this is far more than that, as Kerry has so eloquently said, which is it's a very personal, acidic attack uh, on people of incredible character, like Justice Thomas, like mm-hmm. Justice Kavanaugh. I mean, this should concern us very, very deeply.
1: Right. Well, and, and I guess, and again, to help us understand what's really going on here, folks, we have a judicial philosophy. I mean, we believe in the rule of law. We believe that all people should obey the same laws and government should be like the referees. They shouldn't play the game. You know, we've talked about that before. And then there's this thing called separation of powers because we actually believe, you know, people are sinful and broken and we don't want power to amass in one place, especially in the government. And so the courts were supposed to be outside of the coercion uh, of the culture and the 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 executive branch and the legislative branch weren't really supposed to get along. why? so that you could have the, your liberties protected. Well, Kerry, it, it seems to be that that's all under attack too when you have the families of justices threatened with no consequences, the flooding of the court and all these kinds of things. do the secular pietists, leftists, as some people call them, do they have a judicial philosophy? And really, is this about them trying to take control over all of those kind of branches of government and merge them into one thing? What's what's going on here?
0: Well, I do think what you've pointed out is that there is a real problem where people aren't willing to respect those constitutional limits. Part of it is I mean, I think our schools did a horrible job. People probably don't even know what those limits are, as Tim said. Right. They haven't read the Constitution or really thought about it. And this is in- important because it if, it 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 underscores the re- if you don't know why those barriers are there, you're like, oh, this is this is horrible. And I think people on our on on, on you know, the conservative side have felt that way sometimes. Like, why why can't we get this law passed? We have a, a you know a majority in in the Senate or in the House. Why can't we get it passed? There are pre- checks in the system. For a reason. And it's because we want to make sure that um, all of those systems are working against each other. So you don't get all the power in in one one party's hand. Right. Right. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right. Right. And that's what that's what our founders were reacting yes. to when they when they wrote the constitution they saw okay you got the king who is judge and jury he's like the everything he makes the laws he he brings them out into effect he's the judge he he, he does everything and so it's very easy to lose those protections so we have all of these kernels in government are there for a reason they are a feature not a bug so you need to have for example a lot of cooperation and coordination and a really a super majority of, of Americans that want to do something before you can pass a law. So I think there are things that, that Congress should pass more laws on. But the reason it's slow and difficult is because you don't want just everyone, you know, getting one more vote than than 50 percent and being able to flip flop all the time. We want them to cooperate and work together.
1: Yeah. So and you talk, Yeah. You talked about like the, the founders protected us from the tyranny of the monarchy. Right. But also the tyranny of the mob. You know, yes. they protected both sides of that. And again, that's why it's it's genius, I think. But merging or aligning the courts with one of the branches, I think, I can't remember who said that. If, if the courts were either aligned with the executive branch or the legislative branch, you would lose your liberty.
0: Exactly. Because uh, if they're aligned with the executive branch, it's basically like having the prosecutor and the judge in the same team. No one would want to be tried in that court, right? right? If they're aligned with the legislative branch, they can effectively make it up as they go. Part of the rule of law is, as you said, laws being evenly applied, but also knowing the law ahead of time. That's why this judicial philosophy. So the left, I, I, I wouldn't say they have a consistent judicial philosophy, but one hallmark of it, particularly of of uh, the constitutional interpretation, is the idea that the Constitution can evolve. So we would say, look, here's this document. This is what we as Americans agreed to in fill in the blank date. Some of it was, you know, 1789. Some of it was 1865, different amendments, different times. And if we want to change it, you can't just change it because, you know, you feel like it should be different. You need to change it through the system that the Constitution allows. We have to, and which, again, requires a huge supermajority, because if you're changing our founding document, we don't want to just changing willy nilly. We want people and we've changed it for lots of good reasons, right? The women got the vote, you know, all these different things. We've changed it, but um, you can't do it with judges. What the the approach that the left tends to apply is, no, 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 this is really old. It has lots of fusty, fuddy-duddy things in it. We don't want to change it for just any old, uh, we want to change it for our, our reasons, right? And they think it's going to evolve. And how does it evolve? Is there like right. an actual temp thermometer we can see? Where are we at? No, it's it's what the judge thinks is the right direction. That's not how it's, these, these are not our elected representatives. That's not how it's supposed to be. And if we have – you go to court and a judge says, well, I feel like the law should move this way. How do you know ahead of time whether what you're doing is 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 legal or illegal? That is not the rule of law. That's, the, that's a recipe for a kind of Kafka-esque. The court can kind of come up with whatever it does in, in real time. So we need a system, and we have – should have a system – Where this is all protected. Now what we have is the court is going back to saying, yeah, we need to look at this. And you've got people who think that power is the answer to anything. And so they're trying to then use those levers of power against the court to say, hey, if you don't do what we say and help move this Constitution in the direction we want it to move. They don't want to do the hard work of convince most of the country we want it to move that direction. They want to do the shortcut work of convince five justices to move it in that direction. And now that we have five justices who don't want to just play that game, it's we're going to be on your front lawn. We're going to be doxing. I mean, they have doxed the justices, schools where their kids go to the places of worship. I mean, it, this is outrageous, right? You have to have extra security at someone's church. I, you know, this is the kind of behavior. I might expect in in Cuba. I might right. expect this in Russia. I might expect this in Venezuela. Not what we expect from America because we are fundamentally a country based on the rule of law. So we need to stand up for the, the that system where our judges can be independent checks. And sometimes it means you got judges there that you don't always agree agree with, but we right. can never devolve into just might makes right, which is what they're trying to do.
2: May I, may I very quickly pick up on, on Kerry's second and third points mm-hmm. because I think they're so crucial. The, the first one is that that the one thing that kings will not abide right, is a difference of opinion. Uh, (laughs) And I I, I think this was so beautifully illustrated. And I might say boldly and courageously, very recently, by Justice Samuel Alito, who did an interview with the Wall Street Journal in which he said, he has a pretty good idea, who probably uh, leaked the draft Mm -hmm. of the Dobbs decision. I mean, this, this breaks all boundaries. You know this kind of absolute total, complete violation of trust. Uh, there are only nine justices. It's beyond the pale, okay? This right. is very, very self-destructive. But in one sense, there was something far more concerning than that, and this is the, the the latter point that Kerry was making that you were asking about. You know, Justice Alito was very clear. it was an assassination plan on Justice Kavanaugh, but for the divine intervention of Providence, Justice Kavanaugh may have been assassinated. I mean, we need to really absorb that. And, and I mean this this is rather extraordinary. And Justice Alito, you know, averred that there were other justices who you know could have been, you know, in that camp. And he says as a result, that he's driven around, as is everybody, in transportation that is kind of a contemporary version of a tank. So the, the bottom line is that the net effect of this frontal assault on the integrity and the foundational uh, nature uh, in our republic of the judicial branch of government. The ramifications are potentially life-threatening, but uh, you know they are really ultimately, and this is what we're talking about today, ultimately a threat to our liberty and to our way of life. And uh, this is really, of all the things going on in this era of hyper-polarization, this is as big as it gets.
1: Well, and I don't, under, again, from my, I'm basically sitting, I'm not in the sidelines, but I, in some sense, I'm I'm uh, nibbling at the edges on this stuff, but I see nobody get arrested for this. I don't hear about democracy teetering, but this is democracy teetering when you can threaten judges when it's a federal crime to protest outside their homes. Nobody got arrested. Nobody went to jail. Nobody's on trial. I mean, those of us who kind of sit here and watch, we, we see one side, As I said, they break the law with audacity and then they enforce the law with tenacity. What we see is our people who stand up, they're they're going to jail. And and so, again, you you look at this and say, well, what what are we supposed to do if if the referees won't call balls and strikes the same for everybody? Carrie, I think the last time we talked, I said, should I know a a judge's philosophy before voting? Because honestly, even when I vote for judges, I have no clue on the ballot what their judicial philosophy is. And, and if I'm going to be voting for judges now and they're going to come in and actually not even uh, uphold the law, well, I don't think they should be put on the bench. And and right now, I don't think in our in our way of voting, we even have that ability. How do we deal with some of this stuff when we watch it unfold like it's unfolding?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and as you point out, at the state level in particular, depending on what state you're in, there are, you do have a lot of chances in many cases to help elect a judge. And I think right. so, for so long, you know, we have taken for granted that these people are all going to have at least a, a, a core philosophy of I, I'm following the law as it's written. Unfortunately, that's less and less true. There was a recent election for Supreme Court in Wisconsin that got very heated because this the, the shift of balance in that state was at risk. And the woman who ended up winning was basically going out there saying things like that she would ter- overthrow the uh, the state redistricting. Right. Because she disagreed with it. She had people she didn't want to put in jail. She said basically telegraphed pretty clearly, "I'm going to vote against any pro life law that was that was up there because I'm going to protect a woman's right to choose." That's pretty outrageous and egregious. So sometimes you have judges who are saying the quiet part out loud, saying, "I'm going to, I am going to be." Ruling how I want policy wise, not based on what the law said. But I think also people just need to realize there needs to be people asking, what's your philosophy? Not just are you, you know, are you a, a proud American and do you like baseball and apple pie? But really tell me about your judicial philosophy before you get my vote. But as we as you were pointing out too one of the sides of this that's so disturbing for the rule of law is the failure to enforce the law adequately, not even before you get to the judicial level. So right. as Tim mentioned, you've got people on Justice Kavanaugh's lawn. We know now know that that guy, I mean, and it, it totally is providential that he stopped short. He was already no. around behind the house, getting ready to break in. We wow. know he was trying to get three justices if he could. I mean, he would have settled for just Kavanaugh, but I'm sure Justice Alito was in his crosshairs as well. And and we also now know, we've been always scratching our head, why are these federal marshals not doing anything to enforce right. that law? Right. And after Merrick Garland, who himself was a judge, you'd think he would be sympathetic to trying to protect the safety of, of other federal judges like Kavanaugh, who he served with on the D.C. Circuit for years. He told Congress initially, well, I, you know, we can't prosecute these people because no one's arresting them. But it later came out that Department of Justice had instructed them not to arrest people unless absolutely necessary. So you have mm. these people who are thankfully standing there in front of the, the houses, but whose hands have been effectively tied. So that is a huge, you know, dereliction of duty on the part of the administration to even enforce these laws. So you, you have these people acting under orders effectively not to do anything to help the justices. You have the same thing happening. And, and this Department of Justice is guilty of that as well. When it comes to the FACE Act, the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, which on the one hand does protect abortion clinics, but mm. on the other hand also protects churches. And that's what, that was the legislative bargain that got that passed. So our legislators said, we're only going to do one if we're going to do the other. Right? right. But then you have. Our executive branch saying, OK, I, I like your little your nice little compromise there, but we're only going to enforce half of it. So you've got people literally sending wow. SWAT teams into the home of a pro-life protester and arresting him in front of his seven children when there's right. no absolutely no risk from this guy. Right. For de- for defending his son, who is being a- assaulted by by uh, pro-choicers in front of the clinic. And yet people firebombing churches and pregnancy centers who are having. No, you know, no curiosity about, hey, what could be behind this? Well, they didn't leave their calling card, so I guess we can't. Lo- I mean, that kind of uneven uh, administration of justice is poison to our ability to function as a free society.
1: And Tim, let's just finally say to the church folks, um, you know, you have a role to play in this. And a lot of times we're browbeaten into saying, you know, people say, well, you you just need to help uh, make sure that everything is tolerant and then loving and caring. No, sometimes you have to say this far and no farther because otherwise we're not a civil, humane society. We're a brutal society. And we're very close to that. When we look at what's happening in our cities, we look at what's happening where rule of law is being undermined in so many, many ways. Average people, and I mean of all colors, are living in fear, and they're just trying to raise their families, and they're trying to go to church, and they're trying to do the things that that good, honest, hardworking citizens do, and that's all being undermined. And then the government is saying, and and threaten them with this group and protect that group, and they're not applying the law fairly. The church needs to rise up and say, we demand more of our culture.
2: Uh, Absolutely. In my second book, American Restoration, I devoted an entire chapter to what I consider to be the best commencement address ever delivered in the United States. And that was a commencement address delivered at Hillsdale by Justice Thomas, who I believe is not just our greatest jurist. I think he's the greatest living American. And Justice, Justice Thomas, in this marvelous speech, said that the other side of freedom is virtue in other words if you want liberty and freedom over time you have to nourish and foster virtue not only in the leaders but in the people and of course virtue is is a bit of a fancy word in our time it's really it's a word maybe better understood as 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 moral goodness or moral integrity moral excellence And that gives us civility. It gives us magnanimity. It gives us the ability in in those areas where we just simply cannot agree on major issues. It gives us the ability in a constitutional republic to move forward. And unfortunately, very unfortunately, many of the leaders in American progressivism, many of whom we've discussed today, they do not cherry commitment to magnanimity civility grace in the public square uh it's about power politics and power politics has a leveling wind it has a, uh, the ability to to destroy uh the ability uh in an otherwise free society to remain free and i right. think that those are the stakes uh so so more virtue more moral excellence and the nourishing of it and the institutions uh that help give us that uh uh, and, and in my view, the, the church is, uh, is first in line in that regard. Has a, it has a great moral uh, and, and, and applicable uh, duty uh, in the public square in that regard.
1: Well, yes, it does. And and so, Carrie, I, I, I'd i love to come circle back. There's so much that we could have talked about today. I'd love to circle back again with you sometime because we've got to keep our eyes on this. Uh, I, I didn't even understand some of the things that were going on, and I'm here all the time. I can imagine my people probably don't know anything about what you're talking about just now because it's not on the news very often or it fades away. And and what you just said to us, our liberties are at stake. And what Tim just said to us, uh, even a virtuous culture is at stake. And so um, I'd love to be able to talk to you more, but thank you for being with us today. I really appreciate all the wisdom that you brought back to us.
0: All right. Thanks, Greg. Great talking to you.
1: And Tim, also, same kind of thing. I mean, I, I do think you're right. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of virtuous happiness and keeping the courts, the legislature, and the executive branch in their proper place uh, is part of that duty. And uh, we even as Christians uh, have that duty to do that as well. Thanks for being here, Tim.
2: Oh, great. Great honor to be with you and
1: Kerry. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for tuning in today. To get to know our LCRLDC work better, check out our website at lcrlfreedom. Dot org. Contain there are resources to empower your public square dynamic discipleship. Or check out our weekly Word from the Center opinion piece every Friday at facebook.com forward slash LCRL Freedom. Till next time, God bless you always. I'm Greg Seltz. Have a great week.
0: You've been listening to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz. Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. This program has been brought to you by the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty.